One kind of guest we haven't interviewed enough on the podcast is the advertising agency copywriter. We've talked to a handful on the show and more than a few of our guests have had agency experience, even though they now work for themselves, but it's definitely something that we want to do more often. So before I go any farther, if you're an agency copywriter, I want to talk about what you do, send us your best pitch. We're looking forward to hearing from you. And that's what today's guest did. Creative director Jason Picard is making his second appearance on the show. When we first spoke to Jason, he was working as a copywriter for a West Coast agency. Today, he's a creative director at Digitas working on the McDonald's account. And we talked about the kind of work that he does at his agency role and what you should do if you want to work as a copywriter in a big advertising agency. There's a lot of great advice in this episode, so stay tuned. And my guest commenter for this episode is copywriter and brand strategist, Jen Prohaska. Uh, Jen is like me, she has some agency experience. So I thought that it would be fun to have her add her thoughts to what Jason, Kara and I shared on this interview. You can find Jen at therightdifference.com. That's right, W-R-I-T-E. And welcome to the show, Jen. Thanks, I can, uh, I can talk about agency life all day. So I'm pretty excited to be here. Yeah, um, that's like I said, is exactly why I want you here. Uh, it's fun <laughs> to reminisce about uh, working in an agency. Yeah, absolutely. So before we dive in, this episode is sponsored by the Copywriter Club in Real Life. This is probably the last time we'll pitch the event for another year or so. And as it's happening in the next two weeks in Nashville from March 28th to the 30th, there are a couple of seats left in the venue, a handful left. So if you've been waiting until the last minute to get your ticket, now's the time. And if you can't travel to be there in person, we have good news for you. We just contracted with our AV team to produce a live stream of the event so that you can get a virtual ticket and see everything that happens on stage from home. We've got some amazing presenters, copywriters and branding experts like Mike Kim, Brian Sparanello, Bridget Lyon, Ash Chow, Linda Perry. A lot of these people have been on the podcast. And there's a fun run Monday morning. Kevin Rogers is going to MC our Spill Your Guts or Fill Your Guts competition and the impact on your business really truly can be massive. So don't miss this, details are in the show notes. All right, that's enough of me talking. Let's go to our interview with Jason Picard. All right, well, Jason, we are really excited to chat with you again. We had you on the show way back, episode 34. I believe that was, Rob, was that 2017? Yeah, it was, yeah, it was spring 2017. And if, and if I'm remembering it correctly, Jason, you were the first person that had sort of an agency background who was on the show as a guest. So it was a different kind of interview for us. Yes, not the last. Yes. And no. Thank <laughs> yes. And thanks for coming back. So we, we don't want to kick off with your story because our listeners can go back to episode 34 and catch more of your story. But I'd like to know, you know, from your perspective, working in an agency, what changes have you seen over the last few years for copywriters and creative directors in our space? Oh, well, I mean, so much, right? You know, when we were talking four years ago, I don't like was musically even a thing. TikTok definitely wasn't. Uh, so already there's a whole new form of media that's just so important right now. But even more so, I mean, beyond just the media, I, the pandemic has really kind of 
opened up a lot of opportunities for remote working. Uh, you know, four years ago, when I was living in LA, I'm in Seattle now, but even living in either city, for me to be able to work on McDonald's, I would have had to live in Chicago, be able to go to uh, a McDonald's. Uh, they have a special area in their office for agency people to show up. You know, it's very important for you to be in the city, whereas, you know, now the pandemic has been terrible for for so many reasons but in this one aspect it you know personally for my career it's really opened up quite a few options so jason tell us a little bit about your position today your creative director at digitas you know what does that involve give us kind of just the the overview of you know the kinds of kinds of work that you do the people that you're working with the kinds of clients that you work with yeah absolutely so yeah i i uh, I, I kind of gave you a little insight earlier um, a second ago uh, i do uh, work on mcdonald's at digitas we are part of what's called a power of one team uh, which the publicist group our holding company does to allow different agencies to find efficiencies to all work together so i work with an amazing team of people where on the Digitas side, technically our mandate is owned channel communications for McDonald's.com and also uh, some uh, online media and, and social media advertising. But beyond that, we partner hand in hand with uh, Epsilon and uh, Publicis Sapient who work on the CRM, the email and push, and who work on uh, the app and, and, you know, the app marketing development. So all of us work together on one team. So, you know, on the dot-com team, I have uh, three art directors and a couple copywriters who, who ladder up to me. Uh, but then with CRM, there's another couple art directors and writers. And then with the app team as well, it's just uh, an amazing, you know, kind of group of people all coming together as one. And so I, I have the pleasure to be able to, to work on you know, campaigns for, for all of that to get people into the app, whether it was the, you know, last year's BTS meal or um, our My McDonald's Rewards program that we launched last year. And then also last summer, I was able to pitch on uh, work for a streamer, which I can't be too detailed about yet, but um, we're pretty excited. We should be launching something we're very excited about uh, in May. Okay, so I definitely want to hear about your McDonald's loyalty program. But first, can you share more about your role? I mean, you're part of this large team. Um, there are many moving parts, but what are you responsible for day to day as you work on something like a, the loyalty program? Yeah. So, I mean, my role started as uh, I was an associate creative director at the time. And when it comes to associate creative directors, um, that really comes down to you have to help lead the team, but also you got to get your hands real dirty and do the work. So in the example of the loyalty program, when um, the loyalty test pilots started, I was the one writing the website that explained everything that was about loyalty and making sure all the effects were in there and, and uh, making sure that the 
not only did we get all the information out there, but we were also compelling and getting people to go into the app and use my McDonald's rewards. So at that time was, you know, a little bit more hands on. But now I partner with a couple other creative directors uh, at the other agencies and we all lead, you know, teams. So we each have, you know, I was in charge of you know, the, the BTS meal and the Sweetie meal and our holiday trays, uh, the Mariah menu. It was this past uh, year. You know, I I was the the lead on that. So it was my job to look at all the work that everyone is doing and kind of make sure that it's at the level that we need it to be at and kind of help up level everything. And then also, you know, go and meet with McDonald's and present the work as part of an even larger interagency team of people. Because while we own the owned communications, of course, you know, Widening Kennedy and uh, a whole range of PR agencies, multicultural agencies are all working together on these McDonald's campaigns. So a lot of that also is making sure that we are communicating with those agencies, getting the assets that we need and kind of pushing you know, what we need to get it done. So listening to you talk about this, Jason is taking me back to my agency days, some of the bureaucracy that a lot of freelancers don't deal with. But it also reminds me of how many opportunities there are for writers along the way. Will you maybe break down the team just a little bit more? Designers, copywriters, I'm sure you've got multimedia people, but what does that team look like? And what are the various people doing as you start to conceptualize a project? Yeah. So, you know, we have on the creative side of things, again, I have a team. Uh, there are uh, three art directors who answer directly to me. And then I have a, a senior copywriter and an associate copywriter, a uh, woman who, who really just started in the industry, who we were glad to get in for her amazing Gen Z abilities to write like a Gen Z, which is very necessary these days. So, you know, when we kick off a project, before we've even kicked off and briefed, I'll have uh, met with account and strategy and, and gone through the brief, made sure that we're all on the same page. And then it's a matter of, you know, kicking off to the team, I'll uh, give some some words of advice. If it's a smaller project, then they'll come back to me pretty quick with first the copywriter will send me the copy and say, hey, what do you think of this? And I'll pick at it and see what I can do to improve it. And then the art directors will get that in comp and we'll discuss, hey, is this the right image to be using? Do we like this design? How can we make this more appetizing? How can we make it more crave worthy? And, you know, and with with the copywriters, you know, we're always just trying to make sure that we're tying into some sort of truth about not just the food, but also the fandom of McDonald's, you know, so because it's such an honor to be able to write for a brand where people really are fans of it. You know, anything that we do, someone is paying attention, someone is amplifying that and talking about it elsewhere on social. And so we just need to make sure that we're tapping into that truth to get people continuing to not just talk about it, but then 
get into the McDonald's and, you know, use the McDonald's app. Okay. I have so many questions, but you know, you said <laughs> write like a Gen Z and I can't overlook that because I write like a Gen Y. What do you mean by write like a Gen Z? And do I need to start writing like Gen Z? Does Rob, Gen Xer, need to write like a Gen Zer? Yeah, I please mean, tell me no. Are you advertising, like, are your clients advertising to Gen Z customers? I mean, I, clearly some of them are. We have Gen Zers in our community, right? We have a mix. Yeah, we definitely have a mix. Yeah, I mean, you know, it comes down to, you know, Kira, we came up at the same time and internet speak for us is a little bit different than internet speak for the the young 20s. I have no problem sending a laugh emoji. That is something <laughs> that Gen Z people do not believe they don't do in. That? They, prefer, they don't do that. No, Aww. no. They like, they like a dead emoji. Um, they like sending a, some random emoji to say that they thought it was funny. That it's oh, a little shoot. too sea safe for them to have someone laughing that's kind of embarrassing for them. Yeah, well, it's, it's worse though because we Gen Xers are still typing LOL and use emojis at all. Yeah, yeah, but at least at least the Gen Xers don't think it stands for lots of love. Right, um, right. <laughs> you know, and it's so it's and it's not just about the generation, right? Like I when when hiring for this team, I try to make sure that I'm hiring as uh, you know diversely as humanly possible because we're trying to advertise to huge swaths of people who are each coming from their own community right so we want to make sure that we can speak to those communities and we're not ostracizing them in any ways so you know if it were a team of a bunch of jasons who you know all late 30s something Jewish dudes, that's one perspective. And that's not great, right? We want to get as many perspectives as possible. So, um, you know, hiring a, a, a team where where everyone is coming from, from some sort of different background, from some sort of different perspective is huge. Because then when we're ideating on uh, some big thing, what's a big promotion that we can do, then people have all those different perspectives and we can bring all of that together into kind of one one larger perspective where we're able to kind of hit everything. Let's talk about that ideation process just a little bit. You know, when we're working on our own as freelancers, we'll often hear or even give the advice, you know, you've got to write X number of headlines, you got to try a bunch of different ideas. In the agency world where you're bouncing ideas around, you know, with art directors, copywriters, whatever, it's, it's different. But tell us about that process and how that works on your team. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, like I said, yeah, we start with the, with the briefing, and then uh, people go off. You know, for for larger I, um, concepting, we'll often host brainstorm sessions where we'll bring in not just the the creatives, but also strategy, account, project management, anyone who possibly has an opinion about McDonald's on the team, which is everyone because it's a product that's loved by many many people. Bring everyone together and start. Uh, coming up with ideas. You know, on, on my last interview, I, I talked about how important it is to come up with as many ideas as possible and then kind of call those ideas down. Uh, and that's still my perspective. That's still the process that we take. Uh, it's just a matter of, wow, isn't it nice that I'm not the one who has to come up with 
every single idea. I find it much easier to pinpoint what I like about uh, this idea or that idea or, 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 oh, here's a twist way we can twist this, make it even bigger. Um, uh, it's so nice to be able to do that where I'm not the one generating all of the ideas. There's an amazing team of people who are all coming up with ideas. And then I get to have the pleasure of just kind of taking and tweaking and and challenging my my um, writers and, and art directors and, and and poking and prodding to see if if we can make this idea as bulletproof as possible, as spreadable as possible, you know, as craveworthy as possible. I think I've said that word already a couple times. You know, it is that kind of same process of, okay, we're all coming up with as many ideas as possible. Then uh, a smaller group of us will kind of pull down down and, and, and pinpoint more specific ideas that we like, bring them back to the team. The team that generated those ideas will expand on them unless it came from a non-creative, at which point we'll assign one of the creatives and say, oh, hey, do you, how about you work on this and that to, to keep expanding that idea and just building it out so that it's you know presentation worthy and ready for, for our McDonald's clients. And what does the, the pace look like for that? Is this something that happens really fast and within a week or is this something that's spread out more um, within the time frame? Both. Um, there, there are the projects where, you know, we have something right now where we have to get some online ad ads done, uh, and, and we have to get them trafficked pretty much next week. And we were kicked off on Monday. Uh, that is a little bit more rare than, uh, the projects where we actually have, oh, a couple weeks to really think through the, this, these ideas and, and, and really get some work done. And then we can turn back and bring it, bring it back to the client. They'll have some ideas. They'll have ways to challenge us because, you know, again, I'm working with McDonald's. They're so some very, very talented marketers that we're working with and they're always ready and willing to challenge us which you know it, it just makes the work even better but you know that has to be built in and nothing can be really done overnight because then once it goes beyond our you know marketing people we have to get it to their boss and then we have to get it to their boss's boss everyone's going to have ideas everyone's going to have different perspectives and then when that's all done then we have to put it through legal who will have their own things to say about oh actually we're not allowed to say but first a sausage mcmuffin with egg because someone has but first coffee trademarked and we don't want to get in trouble for that so and then you know then we go and we do all the work and then we have to make sure that I mean, we're very good about doing this proactively, but especially at McDonald's, accessibility is so important. So we always pass it through uh, the accessibility team and they'll be making sure that, you know, if, if there's any information conveyed in an image that it's conveyed in the text of the page, if there's that we have landmark ARIA labels to organize the entire site so that if someone's using a screen reader, it's an easy process, that we have ARIA labels for all of the calls to action to make sure that they know what that call to action is answering back to which headline, et cetera. So yeah, it's, it's a longer process, especially, you know, as opposed to when you're a one person freelancer coming in, running and gunning, Hey, here are all the ideas. Now I'm going to develop this. Like it's definitely much more process with larger organizations. 
Okay, so can we talk specifically about, you know, some of the campaigns, programs that you've put together? I, um, we didn't talk about this before we started uh, recording, but I'm assuming that a large portion of what you guys are doing is trying to get people to download the app and interact with McDonald's through the app. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's no secret that pretty much all of the quick service restaurants are are pushing people into the app because it's just it's another way to improve the the experience. And not only does it improve the experience, but it's another line of communication if people are willing to keep the to keep the push notifications on, or it gives people a reason to go in because we have uh, a, an amazing flash deal that you can only get through the app. So yeah, we are absolutely driving people into the app, and we are responsible for increasing that digital guest count for for getting more app users into the restaurant and getting more people to download that app. Okay, so everybody who's listening, download the app so that Jason can hit his quarterly bonus or whatever. But actually, it would it would be a huge favor to me if you went to McDonald's.com and clicked the download app that I'm sure is on the homepage there. There you Um, go. Would really appreciate you. Don't go straight to your app store. Go to McDonald's.com and download the app from there. So I did it all wrong. But yeah, t- tell us about <laughs> a, a campaign that uh, you've worked on that would, would do this. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, looking just at my McDonald's Rewards, which is the the brand new McDonald's loyalty program, you know, that is something that it's a collaboration between so many different smart people and so many different agencies to create this program that really you know, is this full life cycle that just is designed to keep people coming back in because every order that you make earns you points that you can then use towards free McDonald's. So it's, you know, a a turn to keep people coming back in and there's benefits to to signing up with that. You know, you can tie your uh, credit card to your app so that you can pay ahead of time and you don't have to worry about shuffling for your credit card or uh you can actually you know show your app when you uh, you can make your order and if you still like going through the drive-through you can just share your order number you don't have to there's no there's not that question of did did they get that right did they hear that right is the screen working can i see what the order is like no you can see what the order is because you are the one who put it in and you can see you can manage that whole process so all of that really does you know drive people into giving people reasons why this app is more helpful than just simply walking into the store and and making your order because you can you can save your favorite order you can customize in in specific ways you know there's all these different things that that you can do um in the app that loyalty kind of highlights and and it's kind of designed to keep, keep people coming back and keep people happy because who doesn't love free mcdonald's and can you talk about how the messaging has changed for McDonald's over the last, especially over the pandemic? Like what has been really important and what has worked um, within the rewards program and maybe other campaigns and uh, specifically around the messaging? Yeah, we do a lot of testing on the website, as, as I'm sure many of the people listening to the podcast would be doing. There's a lot of A-B testing going on. And uh, with, within those message tests, we found that um, for a while in the pandemic, 
messages that emphasize the safety of contactless payment. You can you can park and someone will arrive wearing a mask and gloves and and uh, offer you the food for you to take with your hands, uh, you know, from the tray uh, in, in the bag. And and that kind of safety messaging has really kind of shown through and, and shown to be uh, effective in, you know, again, getting people into the, the restaurant more effective than the convenience, more effective than the price, more effective. You know, there, there's uh, the speed. Different things are effective in different ways, but that's definitely one finding that we had that I found. I mean, obviously, safety is uh, on top of people's minds, and for a very long time, it was like crucial, which also led to, you know, people were maybe ordering McDelivery more than they might have been because they didn't want to actually be going to the restaurant. So delivery also very important um, in, in these times. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's examples like that, that are just some of the things that have really been affected by the pandemic with our messaging. How do you balance the, the need for that direct response type language to drive use and, you know, downloads, that kind of thing with the brand voice of McDonald's? Yeah. I mean, it's a constant back and forth, right? We're always trying to make sure that we're using, like I said, that fan language, um, speaking to a fan as a fan. And, you know, you can really see that. I think Wine and Candy does an excellent job on the on the social media for McDonald's, where where you can see one big thing that they did was they changed from talking about we McDonald's to talking about I person who works at McDonald's. And when there's an I person who works at McDonald's, that gives them a right to encourage people to do different things, uh, but do it from their perspective and do it from, you know, uh, speaking like a normal person. And so instead of, you know, we, hey, good news, McDonald's has high C again, um, it gives them the right to uh, make up a fake PowerPoint presentation that they tweet to their boss. And uh, it creates this this narrative, uh, uh, you know, this kind of like behind the scenes type thing, unspoken uh, going on at the restaurant and, and at the corporate level that people find compelling and, and people find interesting. You know, you'll you'll see uh, in responses to all of the social that they do, you know, people are responding and, and talking to McDonald's as if they're a friend and they'll be jokingly calling the person bestie and, and things like that. Um, and, and McDonald's is responding and talking to these people. And, and that really does make a difference in like talking like a human. So rather than kind of focusing on, okay, here's the funnel and, and we need to, um, you know, yes, we still try and get free up there as quickly as possible because free is very powerful. You know, there's uh, right now at this moment in January, you can get free fries when you download the app and some points for free McDonald's later after you do your first purchase. So getting your know, free fries now, free McDonald's later, like getting that out there is is crucial. Um, by February, it'll be free 10 piece McNuggets. If that's more your speed, you can hold off until February. But it's it's a tightrope, right? 
you know, it's it's a constant challenge to to push ourselves to say, okay, are we getting that? Are we using language that will get that direct response we're looking for? But also, are we speaking like normal people? Are we answering to a truth? And oftentimes we'll be called out. Ah, it, it feels that that headline feels kind of addy. Um, and even if it's a great headline that would go in a great print ad, we don't want to do that because we don't want people to feel advertised to. We want people to feel spoken to and seen. All right, Jen, let's cut in here and talk about what stood out from the first half of the interview. And again, because we're talking about agency life, I know you've got probably a list of stuff, but my favorite thing of agency life and the thing that I miss the most working on my own solo is when Jason was talking about the amazing team of people he works with, like took me back, being surrounded by so many creatives so many different people working to advance, you know, a marketing campaign. I miss that. What about you? Yeah, absolutely. The collaboration. I'm a very collaborative writer. And I think that a lot of that comes from, you know, starting out in that environment. I was an account manager at my first agency. So I oversaw the team and I was client facing. Um, and, you know, when things go wrong, uh, you fall on that sword. And when things go right, you point at your team and you say, it's all them, right? Um, so it's yeah. a lot of... <laughs> As a creative, I remember the account managers <laughs> doing that exact thing for sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. And and happy to do it, truly. Um, the team that I worked for, I mean, we we did website design and um, development for some very high profile clients, some um, NFL teams, NHL teams. And this was back in the day before a lot of things were automated. So, you know, literally somebody scored a goal and somebody sat there and put a one in a box in a content management tool. So, um, and if it happened at 3am, then, you know, it happened at 3am. So really 24 hours a day, I was working with um, just some really talented people and the ideas that people can generate, um, the respect that people had, and that was so evident um, in our discussions, even when people are tired and, um, you know, whatever it's, yeah, I miss that a lot for sure. As I work as a freelancer. Yeah, you know, you're you're like I said, you're surrounded by so many creative people, and it seemed like at least half the people that were even on the account side, which is the side of the agency that's not thought of as creative, usually those are people who are waiting for the next opening as a designer or a copywriter to come open so that they can move over into the creative side. It's just there's just an amazing vibe at a lot of agencies, and you know maybe agencies get a bad rap because. You know, a lot of the creative team is spending time, you know, on the pool table or uh, maybe maybe they're smoking weed in the back room or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Like that Drink definitely in. happens. <laughs> sure. But the work, the the work that's done for the clients, the level of thinking that you have to come and, and bring to the table, you know, it's, it's amazing, especially if you're working for a brand like McDonald's, like Jason is. Absolutely. And the other thing I think about working on a brand like that is, you know, there's all this pressure um, like you were saying, to to do right by the brand. Um, but there's also some freedom because they come with a budget. And usually companies like that understand the creative process and understand the benefit of, you know, hanging out, playing, shooting pool, you know, whatever. Um, and, and that sometimes ideas happen. Most of the time ideas happen when you're not sitting in front of a computer, right? Um and having, I worked with some really talented designers and really talent. This was, um, 
relatively early in the 2000s. And um, it really, the so the graphic designers were also developers. And so this notion of understanding user experience and um, how, you know, the, the user interface and, and in web design, it wasn't new, but it wasn't as seasoned as it was. I mean, people weren't yet getting digital marketing degrees like they are now. Um, it also just hit me how long ago it's been. <laughs> um, <laughs> a lot has changed, you know, but to be able to talk about those things and as, you know, Flash, when Flash was new, you know, having, knowing that designers hung out on their free time to learn this incredibly new animation program so that they could bring it to clients um, who could afford to pay for that learning and then benefit from it. Um, I mean, that, you know, agencies do get a bad rap, but you, there's so much creative um, energy and opportunity there that, uh, you know, I'm always extolling their virtues, truly. Yeah. And there's kind of a different way of working too. Again, as freelancers, we're in our copy case or in our office or we're sitting at the kitchen table and usually we're alone. In an agency, most creative teams are just that, they're teams. There's a writer and a designer. There might even be a writer, a designer, and a multimedia person all in the same office. And you know, the assignment comes in and it's not just for the writer to write a sales page or an email sequence, but it's an assignment that needs copy design, maybe there's a multimedia uh, um, component to it. There's probably a social media component to it. And, you know, there, there may even be point of purchase applications, um, packaging, all kinds of stuff. And so it, it really is a different kind of work. And uh, I, I feel a little bit sorry for people who haven't had that experience. Uh, not saying that there's anything wrong with what we do as freelancers working on our own. There's a reason that I'm doing that and not working in an agency, but having that background, just, uh, it, it's just, I miss it and it's fun. I could not agree more. And, and I see it all the time um, in some posts, not so much in the copywriter club, because I, but in some other Facebook groups that I'm in um, with people who, ha who don't have that experience, whether it's in an agency or as an in-house writer, I just think there's something that um, you don't get when you start out on your own and you stay out on your own not only the collaboration, but you really, I learned the big picture, right? I mean, and I started out working for a record label at, you know, I was like a one person um, internet, it was called new media back then, but like internet department. And we brought an in-house graphic designer and she taught me how to set up a creative brief. She taught me how to work with her, right? So not only from a creative side, do you get the big picture, like, but you also get process and organization. Um, you know, and, and people management, right? And um, Jason talks about, you know, all the people that are involved when you produce something, especially for a client like McDonald's. And it's not just, hey, do we like this idea? But it's, does it pass the trademark searches? Um, you know, can we, you know, is it going to be um, accessible? You know, all, all these different boxes, is legal going to pass it? Um, I have some clients now, you know, compliance is, is huge in several industries, if not all. You learn that process and more than checking the boxes, I found that I'm super patient with that process. And a lot of freelancers that I see posting, they're just not. They get really upset that a legal department won't let them say what they want to say because it it's just so perfect. And it's like, well, it's not perfect if legal won't let it pass. And, you know, those are the constraints. Um, there is freedom in constraints if you choose to look at it that way. Um, and the agency life really helps with that because again, we keep going back to, it's not just me. So if there's, 
I worked for Volkswagen, for instance. Um, I wrote for Volkswagen during the emissions scandal. Oh, and if wow. you want to talk about, yeah, oh, I mean, that was you, wild. You went from being able to say just about anything to just about nothing. And because there were more of us, you know, I had um, a team of writers, several designers, and then some marketing and um, some automotive specialists, you know, we could say, okay, fine, we can't say that. What can we say? Like, let's, let's bounce ideas off. Let's grab a conference room and just brainstorm. Oh, it's lunchtime. Let's order in some lunch. Um, oh, it's Friday afternoon. Some people might have a beer or two, you know, I mean, and you just have that. You're not in this alone. And, um, it's actually one of the reasons why I, I, I like the podcast and the copywriter club is because I can reach out and say, okay, this is my challenge. Hive mind, you know, help me out here. Um, and even if nobody gives, usually I don't get the answer from somebody, but I can progress my own thinking based on what people have given me. Um, that is definitely, I mean, that's, I think that's why agencies exist and why they'll always exist, I think, in some form or another. Yeah, that's a really good point. There, there are ways that we can get that teamwork, other eyes on our work, you know, masterminds and groups like the Copywriter Club definitely help. Another thing that Jason mentioned that I really love, and this is something that I think maybe I should be doing more for my clients, but he talked about writing for fans of the brand and especially with a, a brand like McDonald's. You've got people who are literally raving fans that will eat at McDonald's every day. And trying to connect with fans like that through copy, I think is an awesome challenge and an awesome opportunity. And, I, and maybe, you know, because I'm writing for brands that aren't big enough yet to have those kinds of fans uh, in my own personal business, I, I haven't always um, approached my work like that. Like, oh, I should be writing for a fan. And maybe there's just a way to to twist that and assume that there are people who will love this brand at some point, the way that people love McDonald's. And I'm, I'm thinking like how that might change the way that I write copy for some of my clients. And honestly, I think it would make it better. Yeah, no, I love that. I hadn't, I hadn't thought about that, but writing for the fan, like putting that into my own copy. That's great. Um, I love that he discusses the fans. It's like writing for star Wars, like no matter what Disney does with star Wars somebody, you know, there's going to be, the fandom will have an uproar because they are so into it that, you know, fans almost know your brand um, and the story that you've told better than you. Right. Um, I love that. And that's, I mean, true brand strategy. Like that's the whole point of, of branding is ultimately to move people, move your customers into that advocacy stage. Um, and it, yeah, I've, I've heard some of the response, you know, of good and bad about the McDonald's rewards program. Um, and it happens when with every rewards programs, you know, as soon as Starbucks changes, you know, people good and bad, like you're never going to make everybody happy. But the fact that, that Jason and his team were able to move the needle as much as they did, really as fast as they did um, during some really difficult times is credit to the team that they've built there and the processes that they've put in place. So that's super impressive. Yeah, for sure. I, you know, I think about that fan of the brand thing. It's not even necessarily that you have to be a raving fan. You know, my my daughter finishes her water polo practice and immediately after she's like, can we go get a McFlurry and fries? Right. Mm -hmm. Like it's, mm -hmm. it's such mm -hmm. a part of the culture and that's a sacred trust to be able to write for a brand like that. So I, I'm a little bit jealous of Jason and his team and, and their ability and opportunity to do that. Yeah, for sure. After, actually, during the um, the you know, the height of the pandemic, when we were sheltering in place, McDonald's was the one place where I could take my kids. 
we would, you know, cause you could stay in the car, you go through the drive-thru, um, they have happy meals. So there was a surprise there. My kids are younger. They're, um, well, at the time they were two and, and six. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's such a fabric of American, if not well, international culture, um, that to be able to produce something like they've done is, I mean, it doesn't get any better than that, right? Like that's it. That's the pinnacle. <laughs> yeah, for sure. There's one other thing that Jason mentioned that I, I want to touch on because I thought it was really interesting. And I, it got me thinking actually this last week, and that is the differences between generations and the style of writing. We kind of joked a little bit about it, how I'm Gen X. And so I, I would never write with emojis, at least not unironically. Um, but there are definitely things that different generations expect and do. Even just this week, Kira and I were talking about how brands have been responding to what's been going on in Ukraine and how younger generations may be expecting all of the brands that they respect to speak out while older generations don't have those same kinds of expectations. They're not necessarily against it, but they they just don't see the brands that, you know, that they use or that they um, you know, have in their lives, that that's just not one of the, the purposes of them. What do you think about that? It, not not just the the thing that I was just saying, but the opportunity and idea of writing to different generations. Yeah, I, it's fascinating. It's I mean, I think that could be a study, you know, all of its own. Um, I personally am very like, I've met some copyright, you know, copywriters love to argue, right? So about the Oxford comma or about proper grammar or this and that. And I've always just kind of gone with the flow because language in my mind evolves. And my job is to write, to influence somebody. So I love that they brought on um, a Gen Z writer, right? Um, and to learn from that person. Um, I'm Gen X too. And I, I, you know, when I try to write at a different generation level, I feel like, um, I don't know, I just, I don't feel as authentic. So I think there, the other thing that I think that comes from working in an agency is some humility because you're just a cog in the wheel. And if, if you're, you know, um, whereas on my own, like I'm in charge of everything, right. I'm queen bee over here for better or for worse. Um, whereas an agency, you know, you've, you've got younger talents always going to come in and they're hungry. And, um, and, and, and great. Let's learn from them. Let's absorb from them. I actually had an instance where I was writing for an agency. Uh, my, the person, my strategist who was directing me loved what I wrote. It was for social media for a nail uh, client. And we were like, Oh my God, we're so cool. We are so hip. The client hated it, <laughs> hated it. And they ended up bringing in a writer who's, I don't know, 15 years younger than me and excuse the pun, but she nailed it. And when I saw what she wrote, I mean, it was like three words and an emoji, two words and an emoji. And it taught me a lot. I was like, you know what? I really need to look at social media writing and be conscious and intentional about what I'm seeing out there. Who are they talking to? Why are they doing that? It's not just a matter of throwing in an emoji. It's, you know, you guys talked about the laugh emoji is no longer cool. And I'm like, oh my God, what? Like, um, you know, here I thought I was, you know, on it. Like now I got to use a, a whatever emoji. And there, there comes a point where it's okay to pass the torch. I think that's how I feel. It doesn't mean that I don't have use or that, I, you know, my writing doesn't have um, value, of course, and all of that good stuff. But, you know, if I have a client that is, is really, that's their audience, then I better find a writer who can naturally and authentically address that client. 
Yeah, I, I was texting with one of my daughters earlier this week, and instead of using full sentences and correctly spelled words, I was kind of mimicking her style back to her. <laughs> and immediately I'm like, why are you writing so weird? You know, right. you know, or you know, did somebody steal your phone kind of thing? Like they know, and <laughs> it's, it's not, it doesn't come naturally, and uh, they can see through it. So it is like for a brand like McDonald's and for what Jason's team has to do, to be able to communicate with different generations for the same brand that – McDonald's has to attract teenage clients, uh, teenage customers, customers in their 20s and 30s, customers who are retired, like, and there there are places and messages for each of those audiences. And what Jason's doing with his app, uh, you know, the communications they've got, it's uh, it's impressive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, he talked a little bit about balancing the brand voice and the direct response language too, like, you know, that's blending the science with the art. That's how I look at that, right? So um, I love that they are being so intentional and so cognizant of their audience. Uh, you know, I, I that's one of those things that I have to remind myself to, like, who am I writing for? Just because I think this sounds cool and it may, you know, hit brand voice. Is my audience, is it going to resonate with my audience? That's really all that matters. Let's jump back into the interview and hear what Jason has to say about measuring success for his team. Jason, can you talk about um, how you measure your success? I know we talked about how this loyalty program has been a success for your team and for the brand, but mm-hmm. you know, you you said you wanted the work to be at a certain level. And how do you how do you measure that? But also, how do you just kind of take that into account on a daily basis when you're talking to all these team members and you're seeing copy from multiple people and artwork from multiple people? How do you know if it's at the right level? Yeah, I mean, that's that's a great question. And it often it comes down to, um, you know, there's a few different levels of success, right? So there's success in the meeting, where when we present something, clients really like it. And, you know, I it always makes me so happy when some of the higher level clients will hear or read something that one of my copywriters wrote and they'll chuckle and, you know, a comment like, oh, that's the best line I've read all day or something like that. Like that is a, a nice like, OK, internal success. But then actual success speaks to um, is this driving people into the restaurant? Um, what are the numbers saying? Are we getting people move? You know, so it's uh, like with BTS, huge, you know, what a huge band to work with. And and we were able to do some really cool kind of like behind the scenes content that was only in the app. You know, gifts one week and then the next week, a 360 experience. You can feel like you're um, in the room with BTS. Uh, what we found is that actually... We thought it would drive people to the app, but it wasn't driving people to the app. Even if people were huge BTS fans, um, the the meal was driving people to the app. The deals were driving people to the app, but not necessarily content. So then we take that and we go, oh, well, that's that's kind of a bummer uh, that we can't just be doing cool content with these celebrities and people want to go into the app. OK, uh, so then when we the next meal was the, the Saweetie meal, we had to come up with a compelling reason to get people into the app, especially because BTS was huge. Saweetie is a, a great artist, uh, but but doesn't quite have the same fan base size as as BTS. And so then we were able to say, okay, well, 
What if we did a sweepstakes? We called it the Sweetie Sweet Stakes. Uh, and people, if they ordered the uh, meal, were able to, using some new technology that we had in the app, uh, which wasn't available beforehand, people were um, able to be entered into a sweepstakes for these kind of like really custom um, handbags that were being created uh, with one of Sweetie's favorite handbag uh, designers and, uh, tickets to, uh, a performance in Vegas in, uh, October, you know? And so it, it really just comes down to, we are, we're measuring everything, right? So what are the numbers saying? Because numbers don't lie. And then when it comes to, uh, you were saying, how do I know when all of this work is coming in, what's good and what's, what's not good. Again, it's, it's that constant check. Is this speaking to a truth that fans have? Is it something that, uh, a, you know, is compelling? Um, does it, you know, sometimes it's just does, oh, does that make me laugh? Well, let's keep it in the, in the consideration set and, and bring it to the client. I think that answered everything. I feel like I just keep like, going and just like I'm tangenting while while doing this. That's, that's what good creatives do, right? That's, <laughs> that's how you get to the answer. So I'm curious, Jason, you know, especially since you've been at Digitas, what's your favorite piece of work or or the campaign that you're most proud of? Hmm. I mean, uh, gosh, like I I've spoken about my McDonald's rewards a couple times, but that really like that increased people co using the app like 5x um which is is crazy you know there's there's been i think we're nearing or might have just passed like a billion points that people have earned so that's like a lot of people getting you know going into the app and getting that done and that's a program that you know i was able to to touch upon but you know the people at publicis sapient uh, have been working on for years to develop and and, and the functions of that and 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 what what is the psychology that brings people back into um, into the app? So I'm I'm proud of that. But I think personally, my favorite campaign that uh, I've gone to work on, you know, in this position, is it was such an honor and a pleasure to be able to work on the Mariah menu. There's no thinking of the holiday season without thinking of. Mariah's All I Want for Christmas is You. Uh, because I got to work on that campaign, I, I was listening to that starting in, you know, uh, September, October. <laughs> um, it was listening. The it's holiday never too season. Early. Never too it's early. never too early. It's never too early. The yeah, holiday season know. is truly extended. I'm a Mariah between Thanksgiving and, and the New Year's guy, I think. So technically, Mariah's season starts on November 1st. She does a post uh, that gets people <laughs> excited about the holiday season, gets shared like crazy. Yeah, and it's like I to be able to understand Mariah's social strategy around the holidays is fascinating, right? To have this glimpse into this is what the celebrities are doing. This is how they maintain their fan base and how they get uh, people 
keep themselves top of mind. And, uh, you know, it's just it's just so interesting and fascinating. And then from a copy perspective, you know, that my my copywriter on that one, he had a blast just, um, you know, the first round that the client loved, but unfortunately, you know, couldn't go live, uh, had references to pretty much every Mariah song that you can think of just mixed into the copy, which I loved. Unfortunately, the only song we could reference was All I Want for Christmas is You. But, you know, we tried, we went there. Um, and, you know, I I appreciate that that effort and the the ability to kind of have a website that's ostensibly a, a list of 12 items that you could have gotten for free between December 12th and December 24th, but December 13th, whenever it was, but to make it fun, to make it interesting. And it always excites me, you know, like I, I worked on the, the launch of the crispy chicken sandwich. And that meant that uh, I was listening to podcasts or watching videos where people were eating this thing and reviewing it. And at some point they would always go to the website and read the description, that description that you can imagine there's a lot of work that's put into those, uh, those new product descriptions and the new product websites and, and things like that. And so to, to know that your work is being quoted by so many people without them knowing it, um, it's just, it's a nice little pat on the back. Yeah. And I, I believe I heard on Smartless podcast, um, some advertisements for McDonald's as well. And so you're you're getting to podcast. Um, you mentioned TikTok. Can you talk a little bit more about the marketing channels that have worked most effectively for the loyalty program? Yeah. So again, I can't. It's a little harder for me to speak to um, some of the uh, channels just because I we own owned channel communications mostly. And when it comes to podcast advertising, that's you know being done by other people. I see it in the presentation where they say, "Oh yeah," and we're gonna have you know uh, Dax Shepard. Oh, we love him. He's his uh, armchair expert. His his last thing about the Big Mac was so good. It, but you know, I, I, I'm able to see that they are putting that same fan lens over the, you know, over the podcast choices that they are as, you know, everything else that we're doing as the celebrities that they're choosing, um, that they really want to work with people who are actually fans of the product. Um, because it's a little awkward if, if you're not. And then with, we do some media work, um, and we have found quite a bit of success, you know, with the, the Instagram ads, the Facebook ads, Twitter, you know, it's, I don't, I, I don't know those numbers off the top of my head, unfortunately. Jason, I'm hoping I can change our, our direction of our discussion here for just a second. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. Let's say that I'm listening to this and I'm thinking, I am so fed up with trying to find my own clients. I want to work on this kind of a team. What is the very best way to get the attention of a creative director or a hiring, uh, somebody in the, in the HR um, area at Digitas or at another agency? How would I get your attention so that you would see my work and say, I got to have Rob on my team? Yeah, I mean, it is about 
Oftentimes, it is about the uh, get breaking through to the HR, to the recruiters. You know, oftentimes HR will be getting fed portfolios from the recruiters, and that's how I'm getting mine. You know, I'll I'll solicit, I'll go online and say, you know, on LinkedIn and Facebook and stuff, and and say, hey, looking for someone for this position, if anyone's interested. But it really is about you know, once I get that portfolio and I'm looking at the spec work, first of all, I want to make sure that you can write in a wide variety of tones. Um, uh, you know, the, I, I've looked at a lot of books over the last year building this team out, and it's crazy how often um, I'll look at someone's book and it's like, hey, okay, you can write in that very specific direct response copy format. Can you write beyond that? Maybe, but you haven't showed me. You haven't showed me on the website. Um, and, you know, I want to be able to see campaigns that I wouldn't have thought of that uh, take a new approach on something or or show that that you offer a fresh perspective that I'm not currently able to provide. Um, and so it, it really comes down to, you know, what are those campaigns that you're sharing? Do they all feel different? Uh, do they all show off? Also, it's crazy how many portfolios don't contain that much visible writing. You know, I'll be looking at a copywriter's portfolio <laughs> and it's video, 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 which is great. It's great that you got to do all that video stuff. That's not what I'm looking for. I need to know that you can write in a compelling way and I can see words on screen. And if you don't have that in your book, how could I possibly know what you're able to do? So once you once you are working with copywriters, can you talk about what makes a copywriter on your team for a big brand effective and just so valuable to you as a creative director? You know, what makes that copywriter stand out when, once they're plugged in? I mean, it really comes down to when when set to a task, are you able to come back to me with uh, three or four completely different approaches? Something that doesn't feel like, oh, it's it's this idea. Oh, here's the same idea again, but slightly different. Oh, it's the, here's the same idea. Here's the same insight that I'm working on. Like, no, I, I want to know that that we are taking as many approaches as possible. So when I see those three or four ideas that you're happy with, you know, not only is it insightful, does it speak to a fan truth? Um, but like I said, like, does it does it make me smile? You know, does it make me think or laugh or, or feel something because that's that's really where the success is in you know you got to be able to feel something when uh because to be able to do something you know if if we want people to act then we need to give them a reason to take that action so yeah it's it's about being able to have those insights and 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 think on your feet and and bring you know good copy that talks like a fan in a few different ways or client will often be like um could could this be a little more meme is that possible so like give me a few different meme approaches uh me uh you me or whatever it is you know whatever the the setup that that we're going for is and then organization is so crucial Right. Like you can be a great writer, but if you're not able to keep 
those copy decks organized and track uh, every change that we make through those copy decks so that when we go to authoring, the copy decks are ready as opposed to me having to go in there and make sure that they fit all of the right style and that all of the right copy is in there. You know, that's that's no help to anyone. So, you know, it's uh, in the grand gym of copywriting, everyone likes to work their their upper body, right? The the writing, the pen, but legwork is so important in copywriting and you can't be skipping leg day. I, I like that metaphor. That's, uh, that's pretty good. So what you're saying is it's not enough for me to be standing outside of your house, your apartment with the sign uh, that says, Hey, Jason, <laughs> hire me. Yeah. I don't think that would work. Um, yeah. I think that would probably scare me more than anything else. Um, and the, the thing is like, there are people doing incredible stunts to get hired, but they're often trying to get hired, not on own channel communications, which is a little more like, uh, it's still seen as kind of that grunt work. We're not off doing shoots, you know, we're not recording, uh, spots. Um, and you know, I'll tell people I'll just in everyday life, I'll be like, oh yeah, I, I write advertising for McDonald's and they'll be like, oh, any ads that I've seen, I'll be like, well, you know, have you gone to their website? Uh, because that, that is what I do. Uh, and then still people don't understand that. What, what do you mean? Like, that's, <laughs> that's a thing that people are hired to do. I'm like, of course, of course it is. But yeah, I mean, if you have that kind of clever approach to get attention, then great. You know, it's, it's great to get attention. We're in the business of attention. Um, but then once, once you've gotten that attention and, and you've done that stunt, you know, just the rest of the, the book, like just make sure it's tight. Yeah. I, there are so many opportunities in the agency world doing the work. Like you said, it's, it's not necessarily, you know, you're, you're in the helicopter doing the flashy shoot or whatever, but you're writing the menu for, you know, JB big boy, or, you know, it's, there's so much of that work that has to be done. And if you're willing to do that, you, you can make a really sweet career out of working at an agency. Oh yeah, absolutely. And you know, a, the, benefit of an agency is that you can be hired for one client. Like I was originally working on a, a, a B2B client for, for Digitas. And when it was time for me to move on from, from that client, you know, I, I was worried, but I really, again, like lucked out because there was this need for some leadership on the McDonald's team. Uh, you know, the creative who had been leading it, it was much, much, much more senior than I. And she was really kind of a hybrid account creative person who is dealing with McDonald's execs on very high level on a day-to-day -day basis. So she didn't need want to be, you know, getting her hands dirty with copy decks uh, every day. You know, she she just needed someone to get in there and, and make all the work better and make sure the clients saw how good the work was uh, when, we, you know, when we go in the first time. So they don't feel like they're constantly, you know, pushing for something uh, that we're not able to provide. So, you know, that, that team and, uh, you know, I've learned so much being on this team, you know, I, and, and when you're a freelancer, you get a chance to learn a lot about, you know, whatever specific thing that you're writing about, which is great. But even with that, like to be able to have all these people around, uh, you know, 
a million different kinds of strategists and, uh, you know, super smart people of all kinds all coming together that it really is such a great learning experience uh, as well, especially with something like the publicist power of one, because, uh, you know, otherwise I would be just focused on the website when actually I get to have insight into the, the CRM world into, um, you know, what's what the uh, user experience within the app and, and, and their priorities and just everyone, all these smart people working together. It's a beautiful thing. Well, Jason, I know our time is almost up with you and I have so many more questions, but let's, you know, my last question, we've asked this before on the show, what does the future of copywriting look like to you? Where do you see the opportunities for copywriters moving forward? Mm. I mean, the future of copywriting really is, and I'm sure so many people listening right now feel this, it comes down to that, that flexibility that the remote working allows us to do, that ability to be able to, you know, pop in and, and work on whatever client you know, needs it from wherever you are so that you can bring that expertise, even if you're not, you know, within a five mile radius of whatever the, the company is. So it's, it's about, you know, that, that flexibility, you know, and that's something again, like I keep, I keep coming back to, to Publicis, but you know, Publicis has done a very smart thing because they've created, uh, uh, something called Marcel which is uh, an AI supported backend that lets people, if you're working in any publicist agency, you can see other opportunities within any other publicist agency uh, and, and you're fed them. So if it's a, you know, a gig is a shorter term thing or you can pick up a, a, a job and you can still be working for the same agency, but also doing work for that other agency. Right at the beginning of the pandemic, I was able to do that. I was able to help out uh, an agency, uh, Arc Chicago, with a, a Dixie Plates campaign that they needed help for uh, because they had planned for this big party-based media that then when the pandemic started, no one was going to parties. Uh, it just didn't make sense anymore. So they needed to do a real quick turn on that one. And uh, again, like I, if, if not for the technology that we have today, uh, wouldn't have been able to work on that because I don't live in Chicago. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Like, like Kara said, lots of other questions. We want to be respectful yeah. of your time. So uh, we're going to have to you know, bring you back for a third episode at some point in the future, <laughs> Jason. But yes, thank you so let's much. Let's talk. Let's talk in May when uh, we launch the thing for the streamer that I'm working on. There you go. Yeah, that'll be the perfect opportunity. If somebody wants to follow you, not uh, not hang out in front of your house, uh, you know, all stalker-like, right. but, um, you know, just find out more about you, follow you, where would they go, Jason? Yeah, I mean, you can follow me at Jason Picar, P-I-C-K-A-R, spelled like I assume it's spelled in the uh, episode description. Um I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. I'm I'm on all the things. I'm around. You can see me in the Copywriter Club community on occasion, chiming in in that Facebook group y'all have. Um, you know, a LinkedIn. If you have more, you know, businessy questions, I'm always happy to um, provide advice. Or uh, you know, a, I there have been many times where I've even just 
a young creative will message me and ask me to look at their book and, and give my perspective. Uh, and I'm happy to do that because, you know, if, if I can help someone get into the business, then, uh, you know, who knows 10 years from now, whatever they're up to, maybe we're able to link up and work together. And that's, you know, such a pleasure. Well, Jason, thank you. This has been incredible. And just to see, you know, where you were episode 34 of our show and then just where things are today <laughs> and where, where they'll be next time we chat with you. Thank you for sharing so much with us and the community. Yeah, absolutely. That's the end of our interview with Jason Picard. But before we wrap up, Let's talk about a couple more things that stood out. Jen, I'm going to let you go first this time from the second half of the interview. What, uh, what stood out to you? One of the other benefits, um, and Jason talked about this, of working at an agency with a client who, with a, a nice, healthy budget who understands um, the entire process is measurement, right? I mean, there are so many things that we learn about as freelancers and we all talk about you know, well, is it working? Is it converting? What are the numbers? What are the analytics? Um, who's, you know, heat maps? There's all these awesome tools out there for us, but a lot of them get expensive fast. And an agency can invest that kind of money in those tools. Um, and, and the team then gets access to them and can say, listen, this actually worked. I've always loved digital marketing because it can be tested. But little old me sitting here, you know, I have to really be judicious about how I'm testing things and, and what software tools I can afford. So um, being in that environment and learning and, and being able to say, yeah, not only did I work for McDonald's, but, uh, you know, I increased it by, you know, millions and billions of points or whatever. I mean, that's, and then the client obviously celebrates and appreciates that. And ultimately you're, you're keeping that client happy with the agency um, the agency appreciates that. It's like, it's a win-win for everybody. So that's one of those things that when he started talking about, I kind of looked off into the distance. I was like, Oh, measurement. <laughs> that was so nice. <laughs> it, you know, my agency experience, our agency was kind of split down the middle. There was a, a brand side and there was the direct response side and I worked for the direct response side. And so we knew, you know, this week that we ran an advertorial in 26 newspapers each one had a different phone number, different extension on it. Once websites became available, you know, we were dropping people on different landing pages mm -hmm. and we knew within five or six days if an ad worked or not. And that made, uh, you know, that, that made the decision like, are we running again next week? Are we rewriting, reconfiguring the entire campaign? And I mean, our entire year's budget was sometimes made in three or four months of, you know, doing the right things and, and testing against that. So I, I'm with you. I think those agency budgets for testing and being able to really do that. We talk a big game in the internet world about testing, AB testing or multivariate testing. Not very many companies are set up to do it or have the budgets to do it right or even understand it. And, you know, if you're working for an agency like Publicis or Digitas, you have a couple of statisticians on staff who are, you know, running the numbers and they understand exactly. So I, I miss, I miss those kinds of budgets too. And, and another thing that Jason talked about that is a budget thing is the opportunity to use celebrities in your advertising, which obviously McDonald's did that with Mariah menu that he talked about and what that did for them. I, I read somewhere that the Super Bowl, this most recent Super Bowl, that like 65% maybe of the ads in the Super Bowl used celebrities. And uh, it's kind of interesting because 
sometimes you would joke that you use a celebrity when you don't have an idea, you know, big enough to, to you know, make the campaign work because big ideas are really hard. But if you can get the right celebrity that collects, connects with the right audience or for the right timing, like with Mariah and Christmas, because of, you know, how connected they are, it can just work. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's funny because I, I remember when the, the celebrity meal started coming out at McDonald's, you know, and I, I heard about their sales going up and everything. And I just thought, how genius is that? I mean, it's super simple and, and we need super simple as a people. I mean, as human beings, we, you know, we want our messages to be super simple and um, it's a way to um, align with general interests. And the fact that companies and brands like McDonald's have been able to continuously stay relevant and um, on trend, not only in their offerings, but in their um, pop culture. I mean, McDonald's is relevance. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they're never, it's never out of style. I mean, from a case study standpoint, like, again, that's to me is the pinnacle. Yeah, I agree. And and there are so many cultural moments that great brands have used in the past. You know, when Michael Jackson set his hair on fire for Pepsi, for mm-hmm. instance, it's like still <laughs> famous 30 years later. And yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's a cool thing that, again, only the biggest agencies tend to be able to do or the biggest brands because they have those, those kinds of budgets. Um, let's also talk a little bit about what Jason shared about getting the attention of a creative director or the HR department at an agency, because I think this is really important. Again, I think a lot of people would like to work at agencies. In fact, you even mentioned that there's always the steady flow of new talent coming into agencies. And he specifically mentioned some things that I think are worth repeating. Number one, you know, being able to write in a variety of tones and styles, you know, and that might be writing to different generations. Um, but also to come up with fresh perspectives, things that the person who's already working on the brand hasn't already thought of. And I think that is a huge challenge because when you spend your, your weeks 24 seven thinking about all the ideas that you can use on a brand, having somebody come in with something new and surprising and fresh is not as easy as it might seem. No, not at all. Um, even when you've got brainstorming meetings, you know, I've, I've been in meetings where we're all just sitting there looking at each other, like, you know, we, we can't think of anything new. Um, but the likelihood that a new idea comes out of a brainstorm, obviously, you know, the more people, different perspectives, like not just a bunch of copywriters, like, you know, pull in that statistician, you know, they're going to think of things from a different perspective. Um, you know, pull in somebody else who hasn't been brainstorming with you for the last two months. Um, everybody can contribute. Yeah, for sure. And then, you know, if you're, again, thinking, okay, I want to apply for a job like this, or I want to get the attention of someone like Jason, it really does come down to, you know, something that's surprising or fresh, and then being able to hold their attention. It's not just like, a, oh, that's interesting. And then we look away, but you've got to be able to take that attention that you've captured and hang on to it. And that is a skill that I think a lot of freelancers, especially freelancers who are writing email sequences, sales pages, things that are, you know, again, getting the attention of our clients and holding it for our clients so that they can sell the things. That is something that I think a lot of us have and can be put to great use in the agency world. So I, I think this is maybe my way of saying, if you've wanted to work at an agency and you've been freelancing, use that skill set that you've developed and show them what you can do because this thing that we do on our own is not easy 
And uh, while it's a little bit different, it's valuable in an agency setting as well. Yeah, absolutely. And it can't, you can't, it can't go wrong. I mean, if you decide, you know, I think the hardest thing is starting out as a full-time employee and then deciding to go freelance. I mean, that's super scary. That's this huge risk. Whereas if you're already freelance, I mean, to go work for somebody, to go get, you know, a couple years experience in an agency, knowing that, you know, you may jump back out into freelance, like you've already done the risky thing. So now you're, it's just more, um, you know, education and experience for your freelance business. Yeah, for sure. So Jason talked about some of the big wins that he had. Jen, I'm curious, what was your biggest agency win? You know, I don't, I don't know that I have like a, the biggest agency win. Although when I was working for the digital agency, um, there were several, like I mentioned, professional sports teams. And I looked at the owner of the agency and we, it was a smaller agency. So we had access to him and he was a great mentor. And I was like, I want to be the account manager for all the sports teams. And he just kind of looked at me and gave me like this smile, like, like he knew I could do it, but holy moly, did I work my butt off to do it? I mean, if you're on call 24 hours and, you know, I, so I did that and that was a, a lot of fun. And the perks, I was single. I had no kids just for the record, <laughs> you know, um, I could do these things and be on call and work 70 hours a week. Um, but I had a blast. Um, the other thing is that, I'm a really good account manager. And um, if I do say so myself, no, because I'm a people person. I love to talk. You know, I'm, I can I can talk and be direct and all that good stuff um, and collaborative. And so the accounts that were um, in danger of leaving, for whatever reason, I got a lot of broken accounts and um, because I could fix them. So I, I really appreciate you know, that opportunity and, and all that I learned from fixing those accounts, it's a lot of swallowing pride. Um, it's a lot, I'm not groveling. It's just, you know, being customer service. It's customer service, truly, and being sincere and being able to turn around and rally your team and get your team back online. Um, and those skills have proven invaluable to me as a freelancer. So I, it's kind of answering your question, but that's, I guess it's more my biggest takeaway um, from agency life, um, is the account management skills. Yeah. Yeah. And it's definitely impacted the business that you've built today. You know, it's one of those skills that's useful across a lot of different things. I, I can remember, I, I don't know that this is my biggest win, but one of the things that looking back, I can remember a year when we hit our sales goals for the entire year by April. And I, I just remember what a big win that was that, you know, we had, in the first uh, little little beyond a quarter, you know, I just knocked it out of the park. And I don't know if it's because the ads that we came up with were so good or it was just the right product at the right time or, or what it was, but um, those kinds of wins are fun to celebrate. And again, in an agency, you celebrate them. You have, you know, you throw a party, you know, you take everybody to the movies and, and out, you know, for drinks or whatever. And um, so, so those kinds of things are fun. Um, before we, we close, we talked a lot about the things that we love about agencies. You know, what are the drawbacks? Uh, you know, is there anything negative that uh, it's like, okay, but beware of this? Yeah, well, I mentioned working 70 hours a week, um, you know, depending. And, and um, I think, so uh, I also had um, a not so good experience at an agency with a very toxic environment. And mostly it was because they called themselves an agency, but they weren't. I didn't have an agency environment. So I guess 
the thing that I would suggest for people is, you know, to, to talk to other people who work there, look at online reviews. Um, you know, there's, you know, the Glassdoor websites out there, some thoughts. I mean, you always have to take that with a grain of salt. But, um, you know, in the interview process, ask them, what does employee appreciation look like? Um, you know, what is your philosophy on collaboration? Are you truly looking for ideas at, at every level or, um, you know, is there a pecking order? Um, and, and those answers aren't necessarily right or wrong, but you'll get a vibe, I think, from just the way that people react to those kinds of questions. Um, and, and you can ask, what's the work-life balance? You know, things have changed now that, you know, everybody's remote. And Jason talked about that in the first part of the podcast. I mean, things are completely different. Now, however, um, you're still expected to work. I mean, that, at least that in my experience, you know, this is, especially if you're the new person uh, on the team, you know, you gotta, I don't wanna say prove your worth, but kind of prove your worth. Um, at the same time, we can do that in a freelance business too, right? I mean, I know that I've had weeks where, whether it's the fault of my own or a deadline, I've had to put in some time. So um, I think work-life balance would be my only I would encourage people to ask about work-life balance. Yeah. I, there were lots of nights, you know, when we were pitching a new account or, um, you know, invited to defend uh, a pitch and, you know, we'd be there until three, four in the morning, you go home and shower and you come back by, you know, eight or nine to get started again on the pitch and practicing the pitches. Like there were, there were some pretty brutal weeks. Um, and there's some risk, you know, if, a, if an agency loses an account, then, you know, you, you lose a job, but that's not any riskier than, you know, if we lose a client and then we've got to go out and find a client. So, um, definitely some risks to it, but, uh, you know, I, I think it's a good reminder to have Jason on to remind us, you know, how, awesome it can be to work at an agency, especially for a brand that's as loved as McDonald's. And so it, it was definitely fun to have him here. Yeah. When you first said, you know, you kind of feel sorry for people who don't have that experience. And, I, and I'm right there with you. Like, I just, I think it's so valuable um, on so many levels, the client, you know, the interaction with designers, understanding the, the whole creative process and how everything works together. It's, it's just an awesome experience. And sometimes those late nights where y'all go home and I mean, I've worked 20, literally 24 hours before where I didn't go home and shower. Like it was all, we got dinner at like a 24 hour gas station. We grabbed some snacks. We went back to the office and we did our thing, right? Um, for a, a, an NFL team, like you just do what you have to do. Um, I don't want to do that today because I'm at a different life stage, but I love that I have those experiences. I agree. Yep. I, I, I don't regret a minute of it. It was a lot of fun. The only um, other thing that Jason said that I, I want to point out, because I just loved it. He, it was my favorite line in the whole podcast. He said, we want people to feel spoken to and seen. And I thought, what a profound statement, right? I mean, after all, we're talking about fast food, right? We're just, I mean, to some extent, a commodity, but yet because of the work that um, Jason and his team and those who came before him and those who come after him, you know, because of brand, like people feel an emotion when they see McDonald's marketing piece. And I just think that's a beautiful, beautiful statement. Yeah, I agree. I think the idea, I, there's, there's research out there that has shown that when people think about a brand that they love, they're using the same part of their brain that they use when they think about friends and family. And for a truly trusted brand, you know, for some people, it may be McDonald's. For other people, it'll be another brand or, or something like that. But for those kinds of brands to think about it 
almost as a real relationship and you know your customers do see themselves reflected in the advertising or in the product offering that they have they they need to be able to picture themselves using those products in their lives and so i agree i'm i'm glad that you that you mentioned that because i think that's the perfect idea to end this podcast on that's the end of this episode of the copywriter club podcast the intro music was composed by copywriter and songwriter addison rice the outro was composed by copywriter and songwriter David Mortner. If you liked what you've heard, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or share this episode with someone you know who'll like it. And if you want to listen to another episode about agencies, check out episode 115 with Luke Sullivan about the ins and outs of agency life. Luke, of course, wrote the famous book, Hey Whipple. Uh, or check out episode 198 with Sam Pollan about working at a copywriting only agency. That was a really interesting discussion. And if you want to listen to Jason's first Copywriter Club podcast episode, that was episode number 34. We'll link to it in the show notes. And if you want to grow your network, grow your business, grow your copywriting skills, then consider joining us in Nashville for this year's TCC IRL. Again, the link is in the show notes. And if you can't make it to Nashville, there is a virtual ticket. So make sure that you get that. I want to thank you, Jen, for joining me for the commentary on this episode. And thank everyone for listening. We will see you next week. Copywriters coming together to help the world write better, copy and make more money. Kira and Rob's Copywriters Club. Yeah.